everyone and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. And for those of you that don't um, know and might be new to our channel, I just want to let you know that um, basically I started this uh, due to my own mother uh, who had dementia for 30 years. I, I just felt a a real need to connect people uh, to resources around the world. I just felt that there had to be more out there than what I knew about. And so that's kind of our whole mission. So we really are known now as an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to help shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort around the world and intertwine that with our various media platforms and are kind of known as a, as a media outlet for people. Um, we also believe that by joining forces is really the only way we're going to kind of shift perceptions out there um, and help people continue to live productive, healthy lives with dementia if they're diagnosed or if they're caring for somebody. And together, it's been really, this has been a fun journey. I've been doing these shows now for over six years and they're all archived and the interesting voices and the passions of people and the changes that they're making are, they're huge. And it's its really been an honor to be um, part of raising everyone's voice. We also believe at Alzheimer's Speaks that collaboration is the only way we're going to win this battle against dementia. And I know that that's working. And I really have to thank each and every one of our listeners. You see your likes, your clicks, and your shares of not only our radio show, but our blog, our website, um, our YouTube channel, our Dementia Chats interviews, which are... Um, which are video interviews where our experts have dementia, um, all of those shares have gotten us recognized as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's, according to ShareCare and Dr. Oz. And we were also recognized by Maria Shriver as an architect of change. And again, we didn't do that alone. Um, this is a total collaboration with our community. And so we share those recognitions with you because um, it wouldn't have happened without you. So thank Thank you. Um, I, I just feel it's so important for all of us to share the knowledge that we have and the knowledge that we learn from others because there's always somebody else in need. And, um, you know, they don't know where to go either. Um, and, and some of them are in denial and not ready to deal with it. But the more information they can see, the more likely they'll be to go ahead and grab a hold of it when it's time for them. And, and that's so crucial. I'd also like you like to invite each of you to be a guest on our show. So 
reach out to me because again, we talk to everybody. We talk to those that are diagnosed. We talk to loved ones who are caring for someone who's diagnosed with, with some form of dementia. We have had researchers on here. We've had movie directors. We've had singers and songwriters and authors and advocates. Um, all of us are an important piece and we need to work together. And so, you know, again, if you have a story to tell, reach out to me and let's have a conversation and, um, and see if we can get you on the show. I also want to just um, highlight, we have just a short window left. If you are interested in joining us on our dementia-friendly symposium and cruise, we are leaving November 11th and we'll be gone till the 18th. And we are just going to have an exceptional time. We have four of our speakers are actually diagnosed with dementia Harry Urban, Michael Ellenbogen, Lori Shear, and Mary Reed. We also have Becky Watson, who is a music therapist, and Cindy Lazinski, who's heading up a Northern Colorado dementia-friendly um, group there. So we are just going to have an exceptionally fun, fun time um, on the cruise. And uh, um, I can't thank our sponsors enough. John Hopkins has sent um, quite a few books. We're going to have the 36-hour day and a loving approach to dementia care. We also have um, the book Cruising Through Dementia uh, that we're going to be giving away along with several others, um, the American Senior Magazine, um, lots of fun, fun things along with building tons of camaraderie as well. Now today's show, um, we are going to really be talking about housing and design and, and um, rolling that into dementia. And we are just thrilled to have um, Lisa Sinney with us, who is an award-winning, international recognized senior living designer who has over 25 years of experience. And um, like I said, I, I'm really excited for this conversation because I think there's so much that has changed and, and will probably need to be changed in the future as well. And and she'll be able to give us some some tips and insights for that. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you. I am so excited to be here with you today. Well, this is going to be a, a fun show. I think our time is going to blow by really quickly. With exactly. All of I have a I have a real estate background, and so I used to do a lot of new construction, and I I love design and and concepts and things. And so I, I'm really looking forward to this. But before we get into our line of questioning, can you just share with our audience if you've personally been touched uh, with a loved one or a friend or a coworker um, who's been diagnosed with dementia? Sure, sure. So um, my grandmother, uh, that is my mo on my mom's side, has dementia or Alzheimer's um, for us and probably many of you out there uh, when a senior is really old, the doctor's just like they have dementia or they have Alzheimer's and they don't go into the details. And matter of fact, they really don't go into a lot of uh, care strategies or what you can do. So she's 95 mm -hmm. and her name is Gerline Lilly and she lives with us. Oh, wow. So you, uh, you totally get the needs. Um, that had to have been a big decision to have, uh, to have her move in with you. Um, or had she been living with you all along? And then no, yeah, she was living with my mom and dad, and my mom and dad had helped me to and my husband to raise our kids while I uh, ran this design business specializing in senior living design. And I had always planned on having my mom and dad live with us. Mm -hmm. And um, 
we had this wonderful French manor house, you know, four stories, not very conducive for seniors. And, but I had it all worked out in my head how I was going to get them in. Mm -hmm. And we ended up hosting this party for all my relatives for my grandmother's 90th birthday party. And she was just full of life and had so much uh, spirit and health. She was starting to lose her memory a little bit at that point. But I thought, oh boy, you know, here we go. Like she, I don't see her fading anytime soon. She's 90, but I could see her easily living to 99 or 100 like my other set of grandparents. Mm -hmm. So that's when we decided to sell the house and get a different style house and move my mom and dad and grandmother in with us. Wow. So you are truly living in community. Yes. Four generations. That's how we started. Oh, wow. How fun is that? That's it's fun and challenging. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, uh, I, I live with uh, my daughter and her family and the grandkids and my friends all think I'm crazy you know, with that whole multi-generation. And it's like, you know, there there are pros and cons. There are, are, are gifts beyond imagination in terms of living intergenerational. And then there's times where you just want your privacy too. That's exactly uh, right. Yeah, and, that's exactly right. And you, and you shouldn't feel embarrassed or guilty about that. No, and, and I think that happens just, I mean, as a husband and wife, I mean, and you have kids, sometimes there's, you just want the kids to, okay, can I just take a bath or go to the bathroom, you know, when it's, <laughs> right. just, when it's just your immediate family. So it really, uh, to me, isn't as different as what people think it is, um, but the advantages and the um, uh, the ability to build, you know, really cohesive relationships and um you know, to know people in, in that type of depth is, um, it's, to me, it's a blessing. And I know not everyone would look at it like that. Um, well, why don't we talk, you know, kind of big picture, because not everybody's going to move in together. Um, why don't we talk about some senior living designs in general? And um, how does that equate to quality of life or does that? Um, and what are your thoughts along that? Well, I, you know, I got into this, I was a healthcare designer, so I was a hospital designer. And um, what happened was we, I don't, if you think way back, um, labor and delivery units started to become these beautiful home-like environments. Mm -hmm. And that was driven by the fact that uh, people got to choose where they went to have their baby. So it started to become a consumer-based choice versus an insurance company or a doctor-based choice. And so my background in that, what I learned in, uh, under our studies was that germs don't jump. Mm -hmm. So that was an interesting thing to find <laughs> out. Um, and that you don't have to have everything sparkling like the inside of a, you know, of a uh, missile or a commercial kitchen um, to make it clean and be able to be well taken care of. And that there's some trade-offs. And the better quality of life that you have for that person when they're going through that situation, sometimes the less pain medication they need. So that's been proven in evidence-based design. So it's not always just to have this very clinical model. And when I left acute healthcare, the hospital system, and I went to work for a senior living company named Carrington, they had an assisted living model that was like a large mansion style house. Mm -hmm. And we were doing these all over the country and these were for folks that maybe didn't want to live with someone else 
or they didn't have any family left or their husband had died or whatnot. Um, but it was really a home and it was a home that supported them with design choices. So we would look at everything from how is this going to be able to be maintained through the long haul mm-hmm. to is it comfortable? Uh, does it reduce the noise? Is there enough contrast so that it's easy for someone to see what they're trying to see with the edges, the floors and the walls? Can it? we understand it? And then is it inviting enough that the family and the grandkids would want to come over? Because if you can make it wonderful, but if people don't feel comfortable to come over, you don't connect. And yep. when you don't connect, you start to degrade. Mm-hmm. So that's how I learned that. And then when we decided to embark on this social experiment with having my mom and dad and grandmother live with us, I thought, oh, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to get to experiment on them. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I got their permission. So, um, you know, let's, uh, some people go, did they know? And I said, yeah, I said, but there were certain things that my clients might've been a little too nervous about experimenting on or things that I thought would work, but maybe I needed to test them out first. And there were also some ideas that I had that just failed miserably. So um, what I did was just wrote about that to be able to help people to age in place on their own or with their family, however they wanted to. Mm -hmm. So that's where that comes from. Wow. Well, and you know, when you're dealing with, with real lives and like you said, that risk for a client is pretty deep in terms of, is this going to work or isn't that? And to be able to have, um, to kind of have your own clinic in your own house where, where you're part of that and can maybe take more risks than what a business would be willing to do. Um, that's a, that's a pretty big, um, gift, um, to be, to be able to share with the world, you know, in terms of what you found that had, I think it was, uh, it was interesting because you know, you're never a profit in your own home. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, it was a little bit harder than I thought it would be initially. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I mean, when we ended up developing a method, um, that's easy for people to be able to help translate and it's called the love method which I think works out perfectly. Um, and, it, and it revolves around light, optimize, visual, and ease. And there's different design features that you can do within each of those that'll specifically um, help someone as they're aging. But I really focus the majority of it on dementia and Alzheimer's because if I can reduce the amount that my grandmother is confused and help her to be more independent, then it's easier on my mom who's the primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, and, and that's such a basic thing to think about, but most people don't focus on care in, in using that strategy. You know, they're still trying to plug them into old routines and old habits and the way oh, it, everything's yeah. always been done. And it, and it goes back to, you know, the old saying, you know, when mom is happy, the whole family is happy. You know, that's exactly it's right. Thing. And, and well, and it, we had to support my mom in that too. I mean, at certain points, my grandmother didn't want her to leave the house and leave her alone at all. And Mm -hmm. she might be out to dinner or at a movie and get very nervous and feel like she had to get home right away if I wasn't home. Mm -hmm. And I said, we're not going to do this. We're not going to live like this. You are not going to become a prisoner in your own house. So, you know, we installed a camera Mm -hmm. and that way she can check on grandma very easily and fast. And she's sitting in a recliner watching TV, then they can, you know, hang out at the mall a little bit longer. Longer. Yep. 
Yeah. And was grandma aware of the cameras at all? Because I know some families really struggle with, do we put cameras up and how are they going to be used? And, you know, all of that, where are they going to be located? Right. Um, It was um, my grandmother, when we first installed them, was aware. Uh, We were having more trouble with the fact that at night she was trying to get some of the doors out or Mm -hmm. open and out. And so we had to, um, you know, secure those in a way that she couldn't get them unlocked. But the camera, she was aware and you can actually talk through it. So now um, we don't talk through the camera because it's too confusing. Sure. But I still advocate for the fact that um, I would rather have my grandmother and my mother in um, their best possible frame of mind. And if that means having a camera, um, I'm not invading someone's privacy. I'm not putting it in the bathroom Mm -hmm. or in her bedroom where she changes her clothes. You know, I'm putting it uh, in her living room where her seat is. I don't have it everywhere. So I think there's some some lines that you can have um, that help you to... I think justify and know that it's safe. Um, it helps everybody. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's not in any stretch of the imagination, kind of a invasion of privacy. Okay. With along with that technology, did you do any of the kind of bracelets or I've fallen and I can't get up equipment that's out there? We have not. Um, we did do a bidet toilet seat mm-hmm. on her toilet and she fully understands how to use that. And so it can, it's heated and it's antibacterial and antimicrobial. And then it will clean you after you go to the restroom, spray you and then blow dry you. And, and I really didn't think she would understand it. And, mm-hmm. you know, about a month after she moved in, I was talking to her and just kind of educating myself to see how this was going. And she said, it just, she said, Lisa, I don't feel like I'm a burden. I really, this helps me so much and it helps your mom. And my mom said it, you know, it works wonderful. And that was something that I really didn't think that she would get and be able to do. Um, Luckily, I would knock on wood if I had any here. We have not had an incident here where she's fallen. She goes up and down steps Mm -hmm. and she has her cane and she just goes incredibly slow, but she has her (laughs) circuit. And so she's very fit and very steady. Mm Mm-hmm. So we haven't had that kind of situation. Um, I think there's some interior design studies that talk about falls. And part of it is interior design that you can help reduce the falls, having enough natural light, providing contrast between the floor and the wall so it's easy to see, um, providing a landing before you enter the steps so there's enough room, and then contrast that first step as a different color. Um, being able to make sure that there's nothing, no cords or magazines on the floor. We put a night light over top of the toilet and in the toilet uh, so that she can see that an amber one and orient herself. And so she's not falling or, or stumbling when she's getting out of bed, those types of things. And that really helps with um, the reduced risk on falling. Yeah. Well, and I would imagine, you know, so many people have like throw rugs and things like that. Those are just natural trip hazards that are out there. Oh, exactly. We don't have those. No, no, no. On the throw rugs. And especially you'll even see people put rugs on top of rugs. Oh, I know it. I know it. So they're covering the cords. (laughs) Yeah, they're covering the cords or they're putting like a rug on top of the carpet because they don't want the carpet to get dirty right where they're at. And those are the types of things that you really have to avoid. Yep. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and just like you said, removing the clutter and making sure things are well lit. I remember being at, um, I don't know if you've ever gone up to Abe's Garden in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I loved, you know, some of the um, things that they had implemented there with a nightlight that was underneath the nightstand that just automatically came on as soon as their feet hit the floor. And, exactly. you know, and it was out of the way and, you know, the, and so many people that I talk to who are living with a loved one at home, you know, use the censored night lights throughout the house and they just, are, they rave about what a difference that has made, um, not only for their person with dementia, but in terms of their angst going down. Most definitely. Um, and that's, that's a huge, huge impact, you know. I would well. highly recommend it. I mean, you know, a senior requires about 70% more light than a 24-year-old. Mm-hmm. And so if you take that into consideration and you take into consideration that you, most people uh, immediately lose what they hear, about 83% of what they hear, they immediately lose it and can't remember it. And then you say, okay, this person can't see that well, probably can't hear that well, and is cognitively less able to function than you or I that can, can't even remember 83% of the conversation. <laughs> um, that's a pretty you know, hard gig. So you have, to, um, you have to make the environment cue. And that's one of the things with dementia and Alzheimer's is that you, know, you might lose your ability to read numbers or words. Mm -hmm. Um, But those visual stimuli, they they make sense because they've been built into your brain over and over and over again for a long, long, long period of time. For my grandma, it's 95 years now. So it's a lot easier for her to know everyone is naturally drawn towards light. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a proponent that you use an amber light um, because that won't wake someone up if it's on all the time. And it's easier for you to adjust and not kind of shy away from it. You know, those sudden movements can cause issues with blood pressure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you can get those, and those are fairly easy and cheap to get now. Okay. Now, do those diminish um, like some of the shadowing that can happen with light and stuff too? Well, usually I only use them for night lights over top of the toilet, that type mm-hmm. of thing, or at stairs. Okay. Um, so. So I don't use them for natural light. Um, I do like uh, the color correct light bulbs that are natural light. And we've actually been using with my grandmother, the circadian lights that mimic sunlight to help Mm -hmm. her stay awake more during the day so that she can sleep better at night. Um, Having a bit of a challenge with it because she sees it as too bright during the day. Mm -hmm. So um, we're, we've, we went the old fashioned way and we're just, she's out on the front porch a lot more. Okay. Well, I know for me, I'm pushing 60 and oh my gosh, I need so much more light. And I I just, I remember with even my daughter going, do you know, turn some lights on. Don't you need some lights? And and, you know, the grandkids, no, they're fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't see anything, you know? (laughs) Well, it's like the nice restaurants, right? You can't even go in and read the menu now. Yep. Yeah. So it's, uh, it is very interesting how how things change or background noise and, and things like that. Have you done anything in the house or do you recommend in a senior living environment um, in terms of, of noise levels? Because that seems to be such a difficult area too. Um, people being able to sort out conversations, especially with dementia. 
It is, it is. And um, so my father has a hearing aid and that was a bit of a struggle, but he got one and, and that works out really well. My grandmother does not hear that well. Um, and we've got and tested on her something called, uh, they're from new here and they're called IQ buds. And they basically drowned out the background noise so mm-hmm. that she can hear a little better. What I found though, is that she doesn't like to have them in very long at all. So she, she didn't grow up having earbuds in her ear or a headphone. So for her, they're kind of irritating and they only last for so long. Um, One of the things that you can do, and I'm probably going to go to next is something called induction looping technology. And we do this in a lot of our homes that we, you know, design that are the big mansion style homes or whatnot that you would go and live in, but you can also do it in your own private home. And if you have hearing aids, it's only if you have hearing aids, which my grandmother does not, um, it will do a speaker or a TV directly to the hearing aid. And why that's important is because louder is not better. Mm-hmm. You know, you're hearing louder everything, the pen dropping, the cups in the cupboards, the TV, the doors opening and closing. This specifically makes the phone louder or the TV louder, or you can, you know, adjust if someone's on a mic, if they're in a home and running bingo or doing a performance or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that works incredibly well. Um, Michigan is standardized on that. New York City just installed it on all their subways. Um, Texas does it. And it actually came out of Scandinavia. And the really big thing about it, because you can do that with Bluetooth also, is that it doesn't drain down the hearing aid battery. So that's a pretty big win. Wow, that is nice. Mm-hmm. You know, you had mentioned kind of contrasting colors and stuff, and I still see in so many communities that I go out, um, it, you know, these wild patterns, or <laughs> or they'll have very distinct contrast, but almost to the point where then people think that there's a hole in the middle of a walkway, and and they're not right. positioned in the in what I would consider the correct spot. Yeah, there is a, um, we do a couple things. I mean, on flooring, it's really important to make sure that the carpet or flooring doesn't move. I call it moving on someone. And I don't know if you've ever looked at a crazy pattern in someone's shirt or in the floor and it feels like it's vibrating or moving on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can only identify that. I mean, we're experts in it, but anybody can say, Ooh, I think this is moving on me. So I want to make sure that the flooring pattern doesn't do that. I want to make sure that, that there's enough pattern in the flooring so that it hides a certain level of soiling or traffic. Then I want to make sure that I'm not putting borders in, which is I think what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. those dark borders that create someone that might not be cognitively aware or that has bifocals or macular degeneration or something like that, yellowing of the cornea, um, and they think it's a step. So I'm not going to do those types of things. I might do really little tiny ones if I'm changing a pattern inset and making it look like an area rug, but no one would ever imagine that it's a step. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, if I don't want someone to get out a door, I will do a trick where I'll do about a three foot section prior to the door of a very dark color or a solid color. And most uh, folks that might be at risk of elopement um, will not go near it because they think it's a step or a hole. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little cueing on the flip side to yep. be able to use something that could be negative and the positive. What would I rather have them think that that's a hole or a step and not go near it? 
or them get out the door and then they're panicked and staff is panicked trying to get them back and get them safely into the home. Yeah. Well, and that can even be used in an individual house too. If you've got a smaller foyer, whatever. Um, Most definitely. Yep. With, with things like that too. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you seeing much intergenerational um, living um, being built? Being built. Uh, I'm not seeing a lot being built, but the latest study was that it's increased by 35% in the last four years. So, uh, you know, every people are speaking um, and saying, you know, when we went from the front porch to the backyard and back deck, and that was really from going from our communities to the suburbs. So if you imagine Mm -hmm. Americana was all about the front porch and when my mom grew up and my grandma or my my grandma in her early days and later days everyone sat on the front porch they saw everybody they waved to him and said hi then we went to the suburbs and moved everybody out and everybody put up fences and decks and they became very siloed families moved away from families the support systems moved away daycare sprung up and now what you're seeing is people going you know what? I want to know my grandkids. Mm -hmm. I want my parents to live with me. We enjoy each other and we can support each other. And it's also a more economical way to do things. Um, Everybody has their own unique talents and gifts. So we're seeing a lot more of that in residential design. We're also seeing even just single family homes that are popping up have front porches, which is really nice to see. Mm -hmm. Um, we have this beautiful backyard where, you know, we all live together and I'm like, why don't you guys sit in the backyard? And everybody's like, nope, we like the front porch. We like to see everybody (laughs) wave and say hi. And we live in one of those communities where people are always out and about and and very social. So they love that. Um, I think you're going to see senior living starting to do it. It, It's happening in Scandinavia quite a bit. Um, A little bit on some college campuses where they'll put grad students in with older seniors Mm-hmm. And they kind of have a working arrangement. They check on them every so often. I might get their groceries and um, it's a quieter environment for the grad students. Um, but I'd like to see more than that. There's a couple clients that we have that have daycares in their home, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. So kids are, you know, going through the daycare every day and they're getting their grandparent fill, even though they might not have a grandparent that lives close. Yep. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I, I, I see it. I see so many benefits to it. Um, and I, I agree with you, we've gotten away from kind of that sense of community and engaging one another. And I think that has caused us a lot of problems and a lot of angst because everyone is projecting what someone is like, instead of really knowing what somebody is like and who they are. Uh, right. In our, in our We're kind of overconnected in, in, underconnected at the same time, I think. Yep. Yep. I would, I would agree. I would agree. Um, We've talked a little bit about how technology can kind of assist in aging with, you know, the cameras and um, you know, we, we, you know, I just asked you about kind of GPS systems and things like that. If you've used anything, um, you know, with your, with your grandma, but there's so much technology out there. What are some other things? Do you have things in the kitchen or the bathrooms? There's, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's just so much out there. Sure, sure. So um, I talked about the bidet toilet already. Um, We, um, Fire Advert uh, is a product that you can put on your stove. And if the smoke alarm goes off, it will automatically shut the stove off. 
and can even contact the fire department. So that's a great thing because, you know, folks worry about that all the time. What if the stove's left on? Um, that and, was and on that, Shark Tank, a, wasn't it? It was. I you remember so seeing that going, yes. what a great idea. <laughs> yeah, it was. And the guy, those guys are wonderful. Um, there's a lot of, Lowe's has a lot of products. I actually, after I wrote the book, kind of trying to help people see how we did it. And mm -hmm. um, I created a whole site called Best Living Tech to curate all the technology that you could use in a home. So from the hearing aids to the bidet toilet sites, site, uh, seats to the fire advert, um, I use and have, well, I didn't, I don't use, I got from my mom and dad little trackers. So you were talking about GPS before. Uh-huh. So they can be called tracker or tile. There's like a bunch of them if you go to Best Buy. But basically they're these little things that you stick on your phone or your iPad or um your wallet or your keys. And it'll help you to find those when you can't remember where they're at. Yep. So yeah. so I love that. I love that. And um so we're using that now. Um we have uh, a robotic cat and dog. Okay. To help with my grandmother. So we have a dog and chickens and bees and rabbits. But what I noticed was that sometime around, you know, 4.30 to 5.30 before dinner, she was getting kind of cranky and a little cantankerous. So some people call it sundowners. And um, so she wasn't actively engaging in when she's like that, the dog was kind of ignoring her. And she was then starting to sleep and uh, having some issues. So we got these, um, they're made by Hasbro and robotic cats and dogs. And at first she was like, that's not real, is it? And I'm like, nope, it's not. And now she just talks up a storm to it and, you know, it keeps her active and happy. And when there's no one sitting there and um, looking out the window. So there's those kind of technology things also. Yeah, I've had um, several actual friends who have been had parents with dementia, and they adore those things. Just you know, they said it's the best thing that in and even the little you know babies, um, yes, the, the real life babies that are out there because it it keeps them occupied and purposeful and engaged and um, really quite sweet. You know. It does because, you know, I, what I realized really early on is my conversations with my grandmother are very different than what I thought her cognitive level was. So she could come in, I could come in and this was at the very beginning of us living together three years ago. And she'd say, how was your day today? How was work? And you look beautiful. And this is the temperature that's out there and have a good day, honey. And all those kinds of things. And I'm like, you know, she's really there, you know, and this was before on a, you know, daily basis or an hourly basis, she had gotten to the point where she thought she had already eaten or hadn't eaten mm -hmm. um, or taken her meds or not. But I tried to play a game with her uh, that was just a simple matching game. And I realized really how difficult something like that was for her. And that allowed me to really understand like, wow, um, there is a huge difference in between the small talk Mm -hmm. and the actual problem solving skills that she can do right now. And so what we've been doing is just being trying to be really flexible and then um, trying different types of systems to help her be her best her. And the reason why I tried the cats and the dogs was 
one, I had a client recommend them to me and I thought, oh, that's not going to work. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. going to be terrible, but I've promised to do the social experiment, so I'm going to do it. I brought them home and it was fantastic. You know, it really worked incredibly well. And the proof is in the pudding. It might not work for everybody, but gosh, if you've got something that is, you know, not, it's the price of a nice dinner for two people to go out and it makes her happy every day. That seems like a pretty good thing in my world. Well, and I, and I think part of it is we have to get our egos out of the way and stop prejudging what's going to work and what's not and just try it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we should really be ashamed of not trying and instead of thinking that we're protecting or, you know, um, people can hide behind, you know, well, it's a dignity thing for them. No, it's a dignity thing for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, 100%. And, and, and who, who are we really protecting? Who's really fearful of this and, and why? And once you get to kind of the whys, you find out it is kind of silly. If, if, I mean, because I think pretty much anybody you ask, all they really want is to be happy and content in life. I mean, mm-hmm. when it comes down to it. And, and if we can provide that, you know, and no one's getting hurt, what's the problem? Exactly right. Exactly right. And I, you know, I learned so much when I was in house uh, at Carrington, um, you know, on the life skill side, on the baby dolls and the folding clothes and the helping with supper. So the first thing, you know, as my grandmother living with my mom, she really stopped doing a lot of things. And my mom felt bad and felt that she wasn't able to do things. And I said, okay, new set of rules. No one feels good about themselves when they're not able to help and they feel like they're just, you know, kind of taking advantage of other people. Nobody. And especially my grandmother. So I said, Grandma, I'm going to need your help. We need you to fold all the clothes for the entire house. Mm -hmm. She's like, okay. Three years in, she still folds them. And I'll tell you what, she folds them better than anybody I know. So (laughs) (laughs) it is unbelievable. You don't even want to like wear them. They're folded so well. Um, You know, and in she's able to contribute and feel good about herself with that. It's, it's an activity that keeps her busy. It helps out the rest of the family. Same thing with setting the table. You know, there are those things and, you know, someone says, well, can she bend over? At one point, my mom said, well, she can't bend over and get into the laundry basket. And I said, that's fine. We'll just set it on the couch beside her. And then recently that um, got a little difficult. And so now they're on the dining room table. And mm-hmm. she stands and folds them. So you just modify and try what you can. And, and at a certain point, there might be something that you can't do. But you got to take your ego out. It is exactly right. The only yep. thing that I know, after 25 years of doing this and doing thousands and thousands of homes and winning awards and having a great team and great clients in that, is that I don't know anything. You know, mm-hmm. uh, what works for one person might not work for somebody else. Yep. And, and you just have to try. Or it might work and then it might not work for the same person. That's exactly right. <laughs> and then it might work again. And, yeah. you know, it, it really is a, a trial and error and we should never stop trying. And That's so brilliant. It, and I think we should be um, more ashamed of, of being worried about failure than not trying at all. I, I think that that's a real problem in America um, mm-hmm. as a whole. That we, we, we are so swallowed up in perfection and in shame of failure. And yet you talk to any entrepreneur, they'll tell you they failed a zillion times before they succeeded and, and they continue to fail as they right. push forward. That's how new things 
happen. You learn, you learn, and you look at the gifts of those failures. And and so it's really a reframing. um, And it's a, I don't know, to me, this disease is really here to teach us so many wonderful lessons of how to live better in community and as individuals in this world. Um, It's just a a powerful, I think a powerful, powerful time. Um, Can you tell us, you know, specifically, are there some Alzheimer's and dementia designs out there that you just think are spectacular um, in terms of um, communities? If somebody is thinking of, of maybe having to place a loved one, um, I'm sure you've dealt with a lot of different communities. Yeah, um, well, you know, obviously the ones that uh, our team has designed at Mosaic, I think are pretty awesome, uh, but that sounds like bragging, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, that's, um, what we try to do is, uh, we look at what everyone is doing out there in the country and work with our clients and then really co-op and say, this is, you know, this is a co-creation. This is a collaboration. So what can we all do better next time? And I think when designers try or owners try to kind of hold their secret sauce tight to them, Mm -hmm. it's a problem. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm still a big believer in the um, allowing someone to bring some of their own pieces of furniture into their room if they're going into a home. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel that that's very important. And I'm seeing the trend going away from that and stripping everything away from them. And it almost being like a hospital or nursing home. And, and we do nursing home work also, and people bring their furniture into that. And so I'm a little disappointed um, that some folks are doing that. I get that uh, people have sold their things, but there's, there's some things that, that happen when you still have that, piece of furniture that when you got married, your dresser in your bedroom, and you can bring that into a home Yeah, that helps you feel comfortable. Um, it's the difference between staying in a hotel and staying at your home. Yeah, You know, they, they, mo- they both have wonderful beds and, you know, things are clean and the hotel generally is nicer, but there's something about having your own things. And I'm seeing this trend going away from, a, they're stripping people of their own identity. And I don't think that's fair at all. So um, encouraging that. I love the, um, we're doing a lot of purpose-built memory cares, mm-hmm. which means they have interior courtyards and you can wonder through the neighborhoods with life skills, lots of natural light. Um, I think having a great, it, it, no matter on the interior side, because um, part of it is about contrast and safety and yes, not having really wild patterns, but still making it comfortable in some textures. Mm-hmm. Um, it really comes down to the staff and how they're doing the activities. Mm-hmm. It really comes down to that. It's, I always liken it to a restaurant. You know, you'll go to a restaurant all day long that has the worst interiors and is so small and you have to wait out the door if they have the best <laughs> food in the world yep. the be- and the best staff that make you feel like a hundred bucks. Yep. But you put somebody in a gorgeous restaurant and nice staff and the food is horrible and you probably won't come back. You put somebody in a gorgeous restaurant and the food is good, but the staff is nasty. You probably won't come back. So what I do is compliment the staff and what they're already doing. Now, it's a little bit more than a restaurant, and I call it kind of like um, positive manipulation or the Disney method. Mm-hmm. You know, Disney was brilliant. He could have you sitting in line or can have you sitting in line for two hours 
waiting and you don't even care. You go yeah. to a different amusement park and they're, you're bored stiff and you're irritated. So part of what we do with great design is allow people to wonder and explore and not get stuck and not feel like I can't remember why I came here and really engage in the space and have fun and be able to be as supportive as possible. So when we can do all those things from a design perspective, it's a very positive design. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's ones in all over the country, really. Uh, I know, you know, and we've won some of the top uh, design uh, Alzheimer's awards out there. We have one in Florida um, that won one of the Argentum awards for uh, top and was toured around. Uh, We've been featured on CNN and those types of things. But I think it's, it's pulling it all together. And, and we do a lot of training with the staff. This is why we did this. This is why we made the chair so it was easy to get in and out of, but it's still comfortable. This is why we contrasted the floor with the wall. This is why the chair you can see. This is why the nightlight is integrated into the door casing and is upright so that as you get up and it's amber and it's on a sensor, it aligns you upward instead of a nightlight that's down at your feet that keeps your head down, which makes it easier for you to fall. All those kinds of little things. Yeah, which are so important. I um, mentioned this uh, on another show recently, but I was out in California at Silverado. And you know, one of mm-hmm. the things that I, I guess I, I do a lot of tours and stuff when I go around the, the country and speak. And and um, the, the gal there just did probably the best job I've ever had in terms of a tour because she explained, just like you were saying, she explained all the details that most people would overlook or not understand. And when people know why there are changes and, and you know, how to, how to amplify those, I mean, that's just huge. It's, right. It's just, it, it really is huge. I also want to make comment on... Um, and, and really discourage um, communities from not allowing people to bring, uh, you know, personal furniture and, and belongings because it, it's so critical. And I think who put it best was um, Susan Session, who is living with dementia. And she says, what people have to realize is every time you take something I own away, you're taking away my memories and they're already going on their own. I need those as trigger points for me to remember more. 100% right. It's an anchor. Anchors are so important. I mean, my grandmother has her, her photos of the family. We have those all up and around. She has her dresser. She's got her bed. She's got, you know, her wardrobe that her father made for her. Mm -hmm. You know, those things are really important. We have the table that my great-grandfather made her father that the family Bible sits on. It was really critically important for us to integrate some of her pieces into the areas that weren't in her suite. So there are some pieces of her furniture and items that are in our areas because we want her to be there and want her to know that she's allowed to be there and comfortable there and, and welcome. Yep. So that's, it's really key. Um, I, I think that was so beautifully worded. It, it really is a powerful anchor. And I, I don't think people would intentionally do that, but I think they're trying to make things so safe yep. that it makes it not worth living. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And life is a risk and you, you take that away and it's not so much fun anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think you forget, uh, you know, I had, 
living with my grandma, one of the sweet things that um, I realized is I had no idea that she was a risk taker. She never drove. So my grandfather drove and, you know, she combed his hair every day and she was the perfect kind of housewife and mother in that. And when we started to live together and I was going through some of her documents and we were exploring things together, I found out that she was the lead in her musical and that she played on the girls' basketball team. Now, she's 95 years old. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty progressive to have yep. be playing basketball on oh a team. Gosh. But I had never seen that side of her. I didn't know she was the lead in the play. I didn't know anything about her. And here I had her imagined in my head that this was this safe little old lady that she had gray hair from the time I knew her kind of, you know, that kind of in my mind. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't realize was what a great adventurer she was. Yeah. And, you know, this was just another season in her life. And, and most of us have those pieces, you know, um, of adventure that, that crop up. I remember um, it, it with my, my dad had brain cancer, my mom had dementia, but mm -hmm. as friends came around, I heard stories I never would have heard never, ever, ever would have heard that were just like so much fun because I, you know, I pictured them as proper and this and that. And, you know, you just, you heard some of these stories that you just didn't imagine them to be because that's not who they projected to you because, you know, they wanted you to follow the rules. And do right. Exactly. Exactly. I said my grandmother was probably the first hipster because her and my grandfather, when they were 50 in their fifties took off a year from work and traveled around the U S. Oh, wow. Wow. And I'm like, that's like, and they weren't hippies at all. I mean, they were mm -hmm. bored. She's obviously 90, you know, five, but they were adventurers and, you know, you hear all these wonderful stories and see all these things. And that's the, I mean, that's a real blessing of being together. Um, but like with your parents, I mean, it was kind of fun to get that little piece of them that you didn't have before. I bet. Yep. Well, and one of the things like with my mom with dementia, you know, you had mentioned about, you know, the activities, people being so important and, and living in community. And I remember um, my mom teaching me how to play again, because as an adult, I got so serious. And she, mm -hmm. she taught me how to be silly again, and just mm -hmm. be fun and in the moment, because that's all she had. And she wasn't in those constraints of having to be an adult and be proper and be perfect. And, you know, those filters had all left her. Um, the other comment I wanted to make about um, staff is, uh, because I think it's so critical, I, I think we have to invest in our staff so much more um, to get them to understand the important roles they play. I don't care if it's maintenance or housekeeping or um, activities or nurse, I, it doesn't make any difference. All of them are critically important and intertwined and <clears throat> One of the things I talk about when, uh, when I do trainings for companies is something I call family by choice. And to me, it's, it's about letting staff be family and have that commitment um, to, to cherish and support, you know, um, those people when family can't be there. Not take over, not take away, but really work as an extended family. And, and when we do that, we get back to this relationship mode, which I think has been stripped back because people are so fearful of lawsuits and, you know, one or two bad apples really kind of screwing up the whole cart. And um, I, I just think that that is so critically important for us to get back to being relationship-based, taking the time to, to get to know 
the stories and, and who people really are at heart and what makes them happy. And I think that's perfect. I mean, and that speaks to what you were talking about, you know, taking care from crisis to comfort, because when you're family, you're able to pick up on all those subtle little nuances and manage things mm-hmm. to avert crisis and keep someone very comfortable and happy and in relationship with you. Yep. And, and sometimes, you know, sometimes professional staff can do that easier because they're not quite as tied in and mm-hmm. they're not going down the rabbit hole quite as fast or they might have more resources. So, you know, for us to really become a true team and understand why we react to one another, I think is, is so important. And um, taking that time for those initial relationships to, to, to be able to bond and build and trust um, which I think there's just a lack of in the world, you know, as a whole and, and getting to know um, how we're communicating too. Um, because sometimes, you know, a lot, a lot of times staff are just communicating when something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and then we wonder why they don't want to take our call or why they don't trust us. It's because we're not sharing moments of joy. And there's so many moments of joy that can be um, created, especially when you've got thoughtful design and thoughtful companies behind um, these communities. And, and, you know, we're doing an injustice by not sharing those moments because not only does it help the families, but it helps build those relationships between the staff and, um, and the client themselves, you know, uh, because they see them as a, as a person mm-hmm. and not a task anymore. I think that's, I think that's very well said. I think shadow boxes and kind of a history mm-hmm. is one of the best ways to connect with that. So we love the shadow boxes or something to, you know, connect someone to where they're supposed to go and remember who they are and what they love and that, but it's just as valuable for the team that's mm-hmm. helping to care for this individual. And, and again, it doesn't matter whether it's a person, you know, making mashed potatoes that day or someone coming in to clean the room you have to, you know, not only realize who they were and honor that, but meet them where they are right mm-hmm. now. And I often think, you know, Ronald Reagan and that someone that might not have known that he was an actor and the president of the United States and that and how they may look at him and treat him. And you have to really look at the holistic package. Um, yeah. and, and there's tools that you can do to help you do that. Exactly. Well, this hour has just blown by so fast. This has just been such a fun conversation with you, Lisa. Um, Can you tell people a little bit about your book? Because I'm sure there's going to be people out there that are going to want to buy it. Oh, good, good. Well, it is, uh, it's about our family and how we are doing this multi-generational living. But there's so much in there that if you just have someone that you love or, um, or don't love, you know, you can like them <laughs> with dementia or Alzheimer's, or you want to age in place on your own. So it's our own family recipe. So it's a little bit like pizza. There's no perfect way to do it. It's just what works for you. And, um, you know, it kind of goes through all the design things that we did and we did renovate the house, but a lot less than you might think. But from 25 years of my experience, some of the little tiny things that I could do with contrast and paint and various things to help uh, my grandmother and my parents then um, some stories about some of the things that I wish people would have told me and uh, yep. you know, work through, uh, whether it be, um, you know, I have a 21 page or uh, 
21 point checklist on how to, you know, kind of do some things. The love method is in there, um, how to deal with storage and, and some of the things that we had trouble with and that I don't want anybody else to. And then some of the, you know, little fun stories that if you were to stop by our house, the little cute, funny things that we've learned being together. So it's a very cafeteria style book, um, real easy to read and hand out. And it's called Hive, The Simple Guide to Multi-Generational Living. So that um, you can get on lisamcini.com or go to Amazon. And then also the bestlivingtech.com, which is where all the products that we used for our experiment in the house um, is that you could go and buy. We're giving all your listeners 10% off if they put in the coupon code SPEAK10. Oh, cool. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you so much. That is wonderful. And then you, people can also go to uh, Mosaic Design Studio. That's your... That's, yeah, that's correct. And if you go to Mosaic Design Studio and you might be looking for um, some place to put your uh, loved one um, or down the road in the future, if you're looking for uh, independent living or something like that, you can go to our portfolio and look and see, you can search by dining rooms or you can search by assisted living or memory care and see what's out there. Because I think that's one of the really shocking things to me is that someone, most people feel it's kind of like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They they have a very very misguided perception to what senior living really looks like um, and is available to them. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I always said that, uh, my piece de resistance, you know, the, the, the best thing that I could ever do is con someone in architectural digest to feature a property and tell them that it was a, you know, hospitality or some famous person's home. And it really is a senior living home. Um, because that would mean that we really did it right. Yep. Yeah. So someday maybe I'll be able to do that. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you, Lisa, so much for your time today. This has just been a fascinating conversation and you've given given our audience and myself such great insights and tips. I, I so appreciate um, you taking the time to be with us today and I, I wish you the greatest success um, in the future and you know, keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you for all that you do. Uh, it is, this is, um, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing uh, and it's a loving thing, but I do very much appreciate what you said that I think it shows us a different side of ourselves and there's many blessings in it. Great. Well, thank you. Thank Um, you. For our listeners, again, I'm going to give a plug one last time for our Dementia Friendly Cruise and Symposium, November 11th through the 18th. You only have about a week left to be able to book a, book a cabin. So uh, go to alzheimerspeaks.com if you're interested. There's a link there you can just click on and you can go through our travel agent, Kathy Schof. Uh, for all of you listening, um, all of our shows here, uh, they're all archived. So we've got like six years worth of shows. So there's tons and tons of information for you to um, be able to get at your leisure. So don't don't forget about tapping into that. I also want to highlight Dementia Chats, which is uh, just a wonderful video interview that I do. Um, and all of my experts have dementia. The last one we just did was called 
well, do dementia experts and care partners really know what a person with dementia wants? And it's a very interesting conversation uh, that we have. Also, if you are out in um, Massachusetts or Connecticut, I'm going to be out there the 24 through the 26, and I'd love to see you. I'll be with Atria, and um, we're going to be doing some screenings of the film His Neighbor Phil, along with I'll be doing some workshops uh, uh, called Driving Change in Dementia Care, and I would love to be, I always love to meet up with my audience. So um, have a blessed week, and we'll talk with you all soon. Thank you so much. Bye now. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.